Good afternoon. It is good to be back together. It is good to have a meal together. It is challenging after you have fed everyone and they're warm and full and then you get to speak to them, but I think you will be awake because this is the first Church of Christ I've been to where we had snake handling going on in the building. I don't know if you are aware of that, but there was a snake loose over here this morning, wasn't there? And uh, one of the brethren took care of that. I thought I might have to change my sermon tonight because of that. So I'm just kidding. There wasn't really a snake here, though. When we finish today, Sherry and I are going to hopefully not be rude, but we're going to take off fairly quickly. I've got to be in Cookville, Tennessee tonight by about 7 o'clock. I'm going to be visiting with an eldership there. So we're going to try to hit the road fairly quickly. We've already put our stuff in the van and gassed up and we'll be ready to go. But we have enjoyed visiting with you very much today. Appreciate all of the edifying comments that you have made. And it's been a joy. We hope that we will get to be with you again in the future and get to know you better. I want you to think back with me to before you obeyed the gospel. I want you to think back to the moment that you first realized that you were lost. Can you remember that? How did you take it? Did you feel sick inside? Did you go to bed that night and maybe the acid was churning in your stomach because the thought of being lost is a miserable burden to bear? The thought of spending eternity in hell is indeed terrifying. Now I want you to recall how you felt when you came out of the watery grave of baptism knowing that your sins had been forgiven and knowing that you're not going to hell. Can you remember that? I remember baptizing a man on one occasion and, uh, you know, as the preacher, we try to stay dry and we put the waders on. And this man came out of the water and he was soaking wet. And he just grabbed me and pulled me to him and got me soaking wet. And he yelled out from the baptistry and he said, I wish I could die right now. <laughs> it was weird. <laughs> it was weird that he did it. But I understood where he was coming from. Because this was a man who had lived a rough life and he felt the relief. And I think we can all appreciate that. You're so happy. The burden is gone. But then you begin to hear sermons about the possibility of apostasy. That is, a child of God can still lose his soul. And you begin to worry. And in your personal studies, you come across passages like 2 Peter chapter 2 and verse 20, For if after they have escaped the pollutions of this world through the knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, they are again entangled therein and overcome, the latter end is worse with them than the beginning, for it would have been better for them not to have known the way of righteousness than after having known it to turn from the holy commandment delivered unto them. And you think, the latter end is worse than the beginning. In the beginning I was lost. Now this is worse than being lost. And you begin to worry. And then you come to services and the preacher tells you that if you're not perfect, that you're going to lose your soul. Or at least that's the way you're hearing it in your mind. And you begin to worry. And as a matter of fact, that horrible feeling that you had before you became a Christian starts coming back. And there are some Christians who will come to services and they will sing blessed assurance. But in their hearts, they don't really have it. They don't have confidence about their salvation. And there are some members of the church who, though they have been Christians for 20 years, 25 years, they have never been able to bring themselves to say, I know that I am saved. Instead, they will use substitute uh, comments like, I hope I'm saved. I think I'm saved. Perhaps maybe I'm saved. Some will even go so far as to say, you can't know that you're saved until you die or until the Lord comes again. And so as a result of that thinking, they have never been able to say, I know that if I die tonight, that heaven will be my home. 
Some Christians live in a constant state of anxiety and frustration with regard to their relationship to God. They wake up worrying about it in the morning. They, they pillow their heads at night with the same anxiety. And there are some members of the church who have never been able to forgive themselves for sins that they committed in the past. They're constantly digging around in the graveyard of past sins and reliving them. In fact, it's not unusual to hear some child of God talk about a sin that he committed 25 or 30 or half a century ago, and the way he's talking about it, you'd think he committed it yesterday. It's that fresh in his mind. He's never been able to forgive himself. And so consequently, many members of the Lord's church live in a state of constant frustration and anxiety with regard to their relationship with God. Brethren, may I suggest to you that there is a book of the Bible that was written to address this problem. There is a book of the Bible that has as its primary thrust giving Christians confidence in their salvation. And that's what we're going to do today is we're going to study this book. Every chapter of this little book covers this point. The book is 1 John. I want you to get your Bibles and I want you to go with me to 1 John. And we're going to introduce it, and we're going to pull one point from each chapter. Now, I want you to notice how John introduces this book, 1 John chapter 1, and verse number 4. John says, and, and these things we write unto you, that your joy may be full. Brothers and sisters in Christ, it is not God's desire that His children walk around in constant fear and frustration and anxiety with regard to their souls. The Christian life is one where you ought to be able to confidently say, I know I'm going to go to heaven. You should be able to sing, Blessed Assurance, and it is well with my soul, and really mean it. And so what we're going to do for the next half hour is we're going to go through 1 John. I have picked out one point from each chapter that ought to give you blessed assurance, that ought to give you confidence about your salvation. And if you're a person like I just described who constantly struggles with this idea of your salvation, may I suggest to you that you read the book of 1 John once a week. Read it once a day even. It takes 30 minutes to read the whole book because it is a book that is full of assurance and confidence. But I want you to notice each one of these points of assurance also has a point of condition associated with it. So let's begin and go through this. Blessed assurance from the book of 1 John. If you look at the chart, you will see on the left-hand side a number. That is the chapter, chapter 1. On the left-hand side, or on the right-hand side, i got it reversed here looking at it, you're going to see the verses. So this is going to be 1 John chapter 1, verses 7 through 9. And our first point is going to be continual cleansing. From chapter 1, I get confidence because it teaches me continual cleansing. Let's read it together. 1 John chapter 1 and verse 1 says, But if we walk in the light, as He is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus Christ His Son cleanses us from all sin. Now friends, this, the tenses in this verse are very important. As we walk in the light, that is present, active, subjunctive. Thus literally it says, if we keep on walking in the light, the blood of Jesus Christ cleanses us, that is present tense, indicating a constant process. If I keep walking in the light, I have constant cleansing from sin, which reveals something rather interesting. It tells me that I can commit a sin while walking in the light. 
Now, I said, said that to a brother on one occasion, and he said, that's ridiculous. You can't commit a sin while walking in the light. I said, do you believe you're constantly being cleansed while walking in the light? He said, yes. I said, if you can't commit a sin, what are you being cleansed of? And he was stumped. He didn't know what to say to that. Now, somebody says, well, what's the point? What, what point are you trying to make here? Brethren, this is the only point that I'm making. Walking in the light does not mean that you have to be sinlessly perfect. That's the point that I'm making. In fact, he says it in the very next verse. He explains it. He says, if we say that we have no sin, we deceive ourselves. Isn't that the point? The point is, you're not going to be perfect, but that doesn't mean you can't be faithful. You know, some people have the idea that a Christian wakes up in the morning and he's saved, then maybe he has an evil thought and he's lost. And he prays about it, and he's saved, and then he says, Lord, forgive me, and, and he's saved again, and then maybe he lusts, and, and then he's lost, and he prays, and he's saved. And so on one day, you've got a Christian who's saved and lost, and saved and lost, and saved and lost. And so his salvation really becomes dependent upon him dying, the luck of the draw that, he's die, that he dies during one of those saved moments. I met a brother in Indiana several years ago. He believed in this save law, save law, save loss mentality. And I said, brother, let me ask you a question. I said, let's say that we've got a man who's a brand new convert, just obeyed the gospel. He wakes up in the morning, at 7 o'clock in the morning, he commits a sin. Don't, I don't even know what it is, doesn't matter. He's a new convert, he doesn't know it's a sin. When he wakes up, what's his condition? He said, he's saved. I said, he commits that sin, what's his condition? He said, he's lost. I said, let's say he goes all day, time, at 9, 10 o'clock at night, he goes to bed and says, Lord, please forgive me of all of my sins of ignorance today. He said, he'd be saved. 7 o'clock the next morning, he commits that sin. He said he'd be lost. That evening he prays. He said he'd be saved. I said, let's say this goes on for six months, and this brother doesn't even know he's committing a sin. He said, well, he'd be saved all night and lost all day for six months. Brethren, that's ridiculous. That's not what the Bible teaches. I can look and see 1 John 1 and verse 7 tells me this is not how this works. You know, there's an amazing passage in Romans chapter 4 and verse 8. It says, Blessed is the man to whom the Lord does not impute sin. Who is the, Lord, the man to whom the Lord does not impute sin? He is the faithful man of 1 John chapter 1 and verse 7 who is doing his best to live right. He's doing his best to do right. Does he stumble? Of course he stumbles. Does he mess up? Of course he messes up, but he never gives up. When he goofs up, he repents, and he keeps on fighting and does his best to walk in the light. Now, when he realizes he's sinned, he's going to fix it because that's part of walking in the light. But brethren, listen to this. This is very important. The Bible says, a man who is doing that, the Lord does not impute sin to him. The word impute means to mark up against. It says, God will not mark a sin up against a man like that. Not one single one. Blessed is the man to whom the Lord does not impute sin. Can he commit sin? Yes. Will God impute it to him? He will not. And so, suppose a man obeys the gospel when he's 20, and he walks in the light until death claims his body at the age of 80. For 60 years, he keeps on trying. He gets knocked down, he gets back up. He, when he realizes he sinned, he confesses that sin because that's part of walking in the light, but he never walks away. He keeps on pressing on. Ladies and gentlemen, I want to tell you that man was saved when he was 30, when he was 40, when he was 50, and all the years in between. You know why? Because he had the continual cleansing of the blood of Jesus Christ. Because though he sinned, it was not imputed to him. 
Romans 8 and verse 1 says, There is now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus who walk not after the flesh, but walk after the Spirit. To walk after the Spirit means you're walking in the light. So let me translate this. To those who are in Christ and who are walking in the light, he says, there is no condemnation. Now somebody says, Don, that sounds kind of like the false doctrine of once saved, always saved. No, it's not that. Once saved, always saved is a false doctrine. Once saved, always saved says that once you're saved, there's nothing you can do to lose your soul. And the Bible doesn't teach that. The Bible teaches at any time you could quit walking in the light and you won't have that continual cleansing. Brother Guy in Woods used to describe 1 John 1, 7. He, he compared it to a windshield wiper. He said like a windshield wiper blade was on the windshield just back and forth, continually cleansing the sins. He said you can think about it like that. I've always liked that illustration. The first thing I see is continual cleansing, but it's not unconditional. It is only for those who are walking in the light. This is a person who's doing his best to live faithfully. Here's the second thing. Chapter 2. I called this one the perfect propitiation. In chapter 1, we've got a continual cleansing. Chapter 2 is a perfect propitiation. Now read chapter 2 and verse 1. He says, My little children, these things I write unto you that you sin not. If any man sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous, and He is the propitiation for our sins, and not for our sins only, but also for the sins of the whole world. Two words I want you to pull out here. Number one is advocate. The second one is propitiation. What do these two words mean? An advocate is one who pleads your case. A propitiation is an appeasement. It fixes something. And so what he's telling us in this, in chapter 2 and verse 1 is this, don't sin, don't live that way. But when you do sin, we want you to know you have Jesus Christ who pleads your case and appeases, fixes the situation so that you can remain blameless in the sight of God and it's not imputed to you. Several years ago when the Gospel Broadcasting Network started, it was in Chattanooga, Tennessee, right on the line of Tennessee and Georgia, and I had traveled out there from South Carolina. I was living in Charleston, and I had just become the director. I traveled out to GBN, and just as I was pulling in the parking lot, I looked in the rearview mirror, and I saw the blue lights. And I thought, oh, man. So the officer walks up to my car, and I said, Officer, what did I, what did I do? And he said, well, you turned right on red. And I said, I didn't know you couldn't turn right on red in Georgia. I'm sorry. And he said, he said well, normally you can. He said, but we posted a sign, and if there's a sign then you can't turn, and, and I said, uh, and he said, we just posted the sign recently. And I said, well, I'm from South Carolina, and I have just come here, and I haven't seen it. Well, it didn't matter. He gave me a ticket. That's what happened. So I got a ticket. So I found out that in the state of Georgia that you could hire a lawyer, and he would go to court and plead your case, and he would say something like this. Your Honor, my client has never had a ticket before in the state of Georgia. Would you be willing to throw out the charge of running the light and just let him pay the fine in court. And I thought, that sounds good. It won't go on my insurance. And so I hired a lawyer. He went to court. He pleaded my case. And the judge threw it out. And it did not go on my record. Did you know that is the exact same language of what's here in 1 John chapter 2 and verse 1? I had an advocate who pleaded my case and made sure that it did not go on my record. It was not imputed to me. Now... Is it unconditional? No, it's still not unconditional. Look at verses 3 and 4. It's conditional upon keeping the commandments. Chapter 1 calls it walking in the light. Chapter 2 calls it keeping the commandments. It's the same thing. So chapter 1, 
I have blessed assurance because I have a continual cleansing. Chapter 2, I have a perfect propitiation. Chapter 3, I call this one destroying doubt. Look at chapter 3. In fact, on the chart, I've got verses 20 and 21. Back up to verse 19 so we can get this in context. He says, And by this we know that we are of the truth and shall assure our hearts before Him. For if our heart condemns us, God is greater than our hearts and knows all things. Brethren, what's he talking about in verse 20 when he mentions our heart condemning us? Friends, he's, written, he's writing to a person here who has doubts. Now our, pers- our, our point is destroying the doubts. What he's saying is, despite the assurances that we have as Christians, I know my own spiritual blemishes. I know my own frailty. And in light of that, sometimes I have doubts in my heart. God knew that would happen. The Holy Spirit would knew that and knew that would happen. And you know what? You're not the first person to whom this has happened. And so the Lord says, if your heart condemns you, listen to the words, God is greater than your heart. What does that mean? I'll give you my paraphrase. What he's saying is this. You're doing your best to walk in the light and your heart's condemning you. That is, you're still having doubts. He's saying, stop worrying. God knows these things. He wants you to know you have continual cleansing. What's He doing? He's destroying the doubt. Look at verse 21. Beloved, if our heart condemn us not, then we are left with confidence toward God. That is, if you can get beyond the doubt, then what you're going to have is confidence. But there are conditions. Look at verse 19. He says, And hereby we do know that we are of the truth and shall assure our hearts before Him. If you're walking in the light then you should have confidence in your heart. Blessed assurance, we've got continual cleansing, perfect propitiation, destroying the fear, look at chapter, or destroying the doubt, look at chapter 4, fixing the fear. Now this is similar to the previous chapter, but we're going to break this down a little more. Did God know that His children would experience fear about the day of judgment? Did He? Of course He did, He's God. He knew that some of us would be worried, He knew that some of us would have anxiety about dying, that we we would be quite disturbed to think about the judgment day arriving and I might not be ready. And so in chapter 4 and verse 16, he says, So we have come to know and to believe the love that God has for us. God is love. And whoever abides in love abides in God, and God abides in him. By this love is perfected with us, so that we may have confidence in the day of judgment, because as he is, so also are we in the world. There is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear. For fear has to do with punishment, but whoever fears has not been perfected in love. Brother, what's he doing here? He's fixing the fear. What he is saying is, when you understand the extreme love that God has for us, if you're willing to abide in that love, you don't have anything to fear. He says you should have confidence about the day of judgment. The New King James says boldness, not worry, but boldness and confidence. Now what's he talking about? The extreme lengths that God has gone to. You know, some people have the idea that God is this ogre sitting in heaven and He's waiting on you to mess up so He can zap you into hell. He says, think about the extreme measures God has gone to. You go back to the Old Testament, Genesis 3, 15 and 16. You've got the curse that is placed upon the serpent in the garden. You remember what took place between the woman and between the serpent. And the Lord said to the serpent... He said to the woman, your seed is going to crush the head of the serpent. And he said to the serpent, you're going to bite the heel of the seed of the woman. Did you know that's a prophecy about Jesus Christ way back there in Genesis chapter 3? He's prophesying all through the Old Testament. 
every book of the Old Testament. You get to Genesis chapter 12, and he tells Abraham, through his seed, all the nations of the earth would be blessed. You go through every book of the Old Testament, you get to the book of Matthew, we've got Matthew 3. In those days came John the Baptist, preaching in the wilderness of Judea, saying that, repent ye, the kingdom of heaven is at hand. He's saying the kingdom is coming. You get to the book of Acts. Acts 2, the church begins. You trace uh, the church spreading through the book of Acts. You've got the epistles written. You get to the book of Revelation. The church is going to win. We're going to go to heaven. All of these things from all eternity was pointing to the love that God had so that Jesus Christ is a lamb slain before the foundation of the world. He says, when you think of the extreme measures that God went to so that you can go to heaven, you ought to understand this is not some flaky system where you live for 80 years. I remember people used to ask the question when I was a kid, what if you were a faithful Christian for 80 years and you stepped out in front of a bus and said a bad word to hit you, would you die and go to heaven and go to hell? You see, people think of the gospel as this flaky, shaky system. What he's telling us here, when you understand the extreme measures that God, ha that God has gone to. Now, is this unconditional? No. Look at chapter 5 and verse 3. Now, this is the love of God that we keep his commandments. Somebody might think, oh, here's Don preaching. Love, love, love. God is just love. Everything's going to be okay because of love. Listen to what he says. This is the love of God that we keep His commandments. You see, this involves a person who's trying to walk in the light. He's trying to be faithful. But again, this might put someone in terror because they think, oh, keeping the commandments, I can't do it. Look at the next phrase. And His commandments are not burdensome. This is not a burden that's too heavy to bear. He says, keep walking in the light. You can do it. God loves you. Christ is cleansing you. Don't be afraid of the day of judgment. He is fixing the fear. You know, there's a very interesting passage in Luke chapter 1 and verse 6. It's about Zechariah and Elizabeth, who were the parents of John the Baptist. The Bible says, And they were both righteous before God, walking in all of the ordinances and commandments of the Lord, blameless. Did Zechariah and Elizabeth ever sin? Yes. But the Bible says they were righteous. Did they ever sin? Yes. But it says they walked in all of the commandments and all of the ordinances. Did they ever sin? Yeah, but the Bible says they were blameless. How do you explain that a person could be said to walk in all of the ordinances and be blameless, and yet they sinned? Listen to this verse. This is my favorite verse in the Old Testament. 1 Kings 15 and verse 5 says about David, King David did that which was right in the eyes of the Lord, and turned not aside from anything, neither to the right nor to the left, except in the matter of Uriah the Hittite. Did David ever sin? Yeah, David sinned. David sinned a lot, didn't he? In fact, 2 Samuel chapter 24, David numbered the people, and it was such a serious sin that the Lord brought a plague. But listen again to the verse. David did that which was right in the eyes of the Lord, and turned not aside in anything, except the matter of Uriah the Hittite. Brethren, how do you explain that? I think the way you explain that verse is when God looked down on the life of David, they had a system in place in the Old Testament whereby they could walk in the light and remain blameless in the sight of God. And so as David walked in the light, he remained blameless, he was pure, he was counted as not turning aside to the right or to the left, but there was a period of time in David's life when he quit walking in the light. 
It's surrounded Uriah the Hittite, and you remember he lusted for Bathsheba, and he committed adultery, and then he killed Uriah, and that whole period, then he had a cover-up. And so when God looked down at his life, he said during that period, if David had died, David would have gone to hell because David was not walking in light. But David got his life back on track. So when God looked at the scheme of his life, he said David did that which was right and turned not aside from anything, he said, except during that period. Brethren, we have a similar thing in the New Testament whereby we can walk in the light and turn not aside from anything and we can be counted as blameless and holy just like they were. And that is very comforting to me as a child of God. Here's the last one. Complete confidence. Continual cleansing. Perfect propitiation. Destroying the doubt. Fixing the fear. Chapter 5, I call this complete confidence. John opens this book by saying, I'm writing these things to you that your joy may be complete, that your joy may be full. I want to tell you a secret. If you believed in this save, loss, save, loss, save, loss mentality, your joy cannot be full because you're going to walk around all the time thinking, I might have sinned and I don't know it. I know this because I used to think this way. And for years, Christianity for me was I would wake up in the morning and I would be scared to death that I'd committed a sin I didn't know about. So I would walk around all day and I would say, Lord, please forgive me of any sins I've committed. Lord, please forgive me of any sins. Lord, please forgive me. I might have said that a hundred times a day, two hundred times a day. I was scared to death. Christianity was not a joy for me. It was a terror for me. But you see, John said, I'm writing this to you so that your joy may be full. Now I want you to look at chapter 5 and verse 13 when he gets almost to the end of this book. He says, these things I have written unto you who believe in the name of the Son of God that you may know that you have eternal life. Now I want you to notice, he says you may know it. Not that you can guess. He doesn't say hope. He doesn't say wait and see. Brothers and sisters in Christ, he says you may know with absolute confidence that you are going to go to heaven. You can sing, it is well with my soul, and you can really mean it. That is my favorite verse in the New Testament that you may know that you have eternal life. I want you to notice how you may know. He says, these things I have written unto you. When I was in the Air Force, I had a boss who was a member of a denomination, and he was very evangelistic. He called me in his office one day, and he said, Blackwell, come in here. And I came in, I sat on the desk, and he said, uh, Blackwell, you're going to go to heaven? And I said, uh, yes. He said, how do you know? I said, because... I've read the Bible. I see what it says to do. I've complied, complied with those things. I've been washed in the blood of Jesus. And I said, uh, Sergeant Anderson, you, are you going to go to heaven? And he said, yes. And I said, how do you know? And I remember what he did. He put his hand in it, on his heart. And he said, from the time I accepted Jesus Christ into my heart, he said, I feel it inside of me. Brother, I want you to read this. He doesn't say you can feel it. He says, these things I have written unto you that you may know that you have eternal life. The only way a person may know that he has eternal life is by the written word of God. You could get a round table and you could get a Catholic and a Mormon and a Jehovah's Witness and a Baptist and a, you name it. You could sit everyone around the table and he would say, he's lost, he's lost, he's lost, he's lost. He's back and forth and I'm saved, I'm saved. And they're all confused, they don't agree. See, that's subjective. The only way you're going to know for sure is by the written Word of God. These things I have written unto you, that you may know that you have eternal life. Now I want you to look at chapter 5 and verse 18. Almost the very end of the book, he says this. We know that whoever is born of God... Who is that? Who is it that's born of God? 
to Christian, right? Whoever is born of God, a Christian, does not sin. That means that's not his normal way of life. He says, whoever is born of God does not sin, but he who is born of God keeps himself. That means he's trying to walk in the light. He's trying not to sin. Now notice the last part. This is important. Whoever is born of God does not uh, sin, but he keeps himself, and the wicked one does not touch him. You know what that means? The devil can't get me. And you know why that's important? Because 1 Peter 5 and verse 8 says, The devil is walking around as a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. But if I'm walking in the light and keeping myself, he says, The devil cannot touch me. Brethren, you know there's an interesting thing that I have said that takes place in the Lord's church. Because sometimes we will say, we've done a good job sometimes of convincing people that they're lost, but I think sometimes we haven't done such a good job of convincing people that they're saved. And I think sometimes we will tell people, now y'all need to leave the Baptist church where they believe in once saved, always saved, and come be a member of the Church of Christ where we don't know if we're saved or not. Now, I'm being facetious, but just a little bit, because a Christian should not be walking around saying, I don't know if I'm saved or not. John says, these things I have written unto you that you may know that you have eternal life. So if I don't know, then there is something wrong. That's the point of this book, so that I may have confidence. When I go and do gospel meetings, I typically close out the meeting with this sermon. And someone might think, well, this doesn't seem much like a gospel meeting sermon. This is to give confidence to Christians, isn't it? Brethren, I believe this is the most evangelistic sermon that I ever preach. Because this is where I learn how to have confidence. This is how I learn how to get rid of that fear. This is how I have comfort in my spirituality. This is how I can go day to day not worried. I can get in my car and drive from town to town. And I'm not scared. I used to be scared that I was going to die and that I wouldn't be ready. You know, I don't feel that way anymore because I feel if I am walking in the light and I die... I'm going to go be with the Lord. You know why? Because 1 John 5.13 tells me that. When you can understand the meaning of this book, then you have something that the world can't give you. Then you have the joy that passes understanding, the peace that passes understanding. And the only way you can get this is by being a member of the body that belongs to Jesus Christ, and that is His church. By hearing the gospel believing it, repenting of your sins, confessing your faith in Christ, and being baptized in water for the remission of your sins so that you become a part of that church. And then you walk faithfully, walking in the light, until you leave this world. Maybe tonight, this afternoon, you say, I've never heard that, I want to study, then let's study. We'll get a study set up with you. Maybe this afternoon you say, I'm ready to be baptized, I want to have the confidence that this is describing, then let's do it. Maybe as a member of the Lord's body, you've been unfaithful. Maybe you have been out of service. You have not been walking in the light. And you don't have this confidence because you know you haven't been faithful to the Lord. Maybe tonight you need to make a confession and get your life right. If that is the case, we would count it an honor to go to God and to pray with you and for you this evening. This afternoon, if you need to respond to the gospel invitation, won't you do so as together we stand and sing this invitation song?